Welcome to Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. This season, I'm sitting down with thought leaders in and around the oil and gas industry to look at these competing trends of ESG and anti-ESG with an eye to what's coming next. So that's why I wanted to speak today with Christina Wyatt, Chief Sustainability Officer at Persephone. There's nothing more in the middle of ESG and anti-ESG than the upcoming SEC rule. And that's what we talk about today. And we did it in a mini pod because well, I mean, how much tolerance does anyone have to talk about an SEC rule? So we're going to really knock this out and get you exactly what you need to know in a short period of time. Christina is a great guest. She has a BA in philosophy from Duke, a law degree from the University of Colorado, and an MBA from Yale School of Management. Prior to her work at Persephone, where she joined in 2022, she was the senior counsel for climate and ESG to the SEC's director of the Division of Corporate Finance. So she worked on the rule we're about to talk about today. You can learn more about Christina in our show notes, and I really hope you enjoyed this mini pod conversation with Christina Wyatt. Christina Wyatt, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. So the SEC climate rule is eagerly anticipated, and I'd love for you to help our audience level set What do we know about the rule, its possible timing, and also tell our audience your experience in in and around this rule as well. Sure, happy to. Well, timing seems to be the big issue right now, and the rule is on the SEC's regulatory flexibility agenda for adoption in the second half of 2023. Now, this doesn't mean that the rule absolutely will come out this year. In fact, it was on the agenda for the first half of the year and didn't make it out. So it could slip into next year, but I expect that we'll see it before the end of the year. It's certainly a high priority. So I know they're working hard to get it out. And in terms of my engagement with the rule, I actually worked at the SEC during 2021 and into the early part of 2022 on the rules. So that was my job was to help to draft the proposal that is now under consideration by the SEC. Yes. And it's no coincidence that that we have you here. (laughs) Thank you for your work. I imagine there's a few um, jobs that are perhaps truly thankless. So let's make sure that isn't one of them. So thank you for your work (laughs) at the SEC. So one of the things we like to do in our work is try to help our companies navigate this ESG pressure but also to make sense of the anti-ESG backlash that has taken on particular momentum in this moment with like the anti-woke political campaigns and things like that. And so in that rhetoric around anti-ESG, the rules often brought up. So ESG critics and skeptics will, will bring up this rule as, as um, you know, progressive agenda or overstepping. I'm wondering from your seat, how do you like what context do you give this and and what do you think like how do you navigate this ESG anti ESG pressure yeah honestly i think it's clearly a political maneuver designed to distract from the real issues at hand here which go to the quality of information that companies are reporting to investors about the impact of climate change and and broader ESG issues on their companies and i think it's it is a distraction And what I encourage companies to do is to think about the financial impacts of climate change on on their companies and and to stick to their knitting and continue to think about 
what those economic impacts are and not get too distracted by the political shenanigans. It's funny that you say that. Well, first of all, I love the expression stick to to your knitting. So <laughs> I'm going to be a, a, incorporating that into some of my work. Uh, sometimes I think this anti-woke effort is just I mean, it's just the same of the critique of wokeness. Like if you if you take anything to a political extreme, it just becomes, as you said, shenanigans. I think you gave some good advice about having companies stick to, you know, what's financially material, what could impact their business. What else do you think gets lost in these criticisms? Like what what value um, do you see in what will come out of this rule that just gets glossed over in some of the these political battles? Yeah, thanks for asking, because I think a lot is lost in a a couple of very important things. So first, the economic significance of climate change for companies, the efforts to dismiss climate disclosures as part of a left wing political agenda miss the big economic point, which is that companies are spending some companies in certain industries are spending billions of dollars in making the transition to lower carbon operations. And that's driven by consumer, investor, and and regulatory demands. This is very real, and it's happening right in front of us right now. So I think that the big economic picture is somewhat lost in the political dialogue right now. And then the second thing that I think is, is worth pointing out is that companies are already reporting on climate change, and investors have long been asking for rules that help standardize disclosures So the information that they get from companies is consistent, comparable, and trustworthy. So it's not as though we're inventing a new disclosure regime. We're taking disclosures that companies are already making and putting them in a regulated context so that they're more useful to investors. That's really fair because other than the political swings. A substantive critique that can be meaningful of ESG is the inconsistency and the inability to compare apples to apples. And so what you're really saying is this is what you've been asking for, <laughs> something yeah. that that is consistent and credible. So I, I think that's very, very compelling. I'm curious, Christina, you were at SEC. I imagine you spoke to hundreds of people on all sides of this, investors, executives, climate experts. I guess this is maybe more of like a emotional question, but what most surprised you in those conversations? Like these are humans working through really, really hard issues that are politically fraught and they matter. What like what 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 surprised you in engaging with actual humans on this super super geeky complex topic? Thanks for putting it that way. Um that kind of defines my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we did speak with a huge number of market participants across the market, including as you say investors and companies, executives, industry groups and and others. The thing that was perhaps most surprising was the level of support for regulation among companies who said that they just wanted clarity as to what they should report. When we spoke with industry groups, there tended to be more reticence because they're trying to create a collective voice among disparate members. But at the company level, the message we heard was that regulation was welcome and necessary to provide clarity. And just for context on that, remember that we had been in this landscape that was not so affectionately called the alphabet soup of different reporting standards. And companies 
quite consistently said, look, we want clarity. We want to be told what we ought to be reporting because we're under a pile of questionnaires. We're subject to ESG ratings and rankings and having clarity as to what we ought to be reporting will be helpful to us. That makes a lot of sense to me. And that is consistent with our experience of companies that we're working with is I think often in the public, people think, oh, oil and gas companies are are opposed to regulation. But actually, like any good business, it's like if you have a consistent uh, runway, you can see where you're going. You can adapt to to almost almost anything, not not anything, but if you have clarity and like a reasonable path to pursue. So that makes sense to me. In that context, this is a world oil and gas companies are, are as you said, like many other companies, investing billions in reducing their their carbon footprint and preparing to be part of a decarbonizing energy future. In this SEC rule, do you see any particular opportunities for oil and gas companies that maybe they're not thinking about right now? Well, I think there's a huge opportunity for oil and gas companies to tell their story and to own their own narrative. The rules will create a level playing field where investors will have more consistent and comparable information. Oil and gas companies are obviously critical to, they're essential to the energy transition. And they're often painted with a broad brush that's not positive. And the rule will give them greater control over the way that they're perceived because they'll own their narrative. Yeah, Christina, you're speaking my love language right now, (laughs) (laughs) which I recognize is like deeply inconsistent with talking about an SEC rule, but, (laughs) but telling your own story in a way that a skeptical public can start to value the role that forward-thinking companies can play in the future is a real potential benefit of embracing different forms of regulation. One of the things that I think gives a lot of us a heartache is imagining whatever in the world will become of Scope 3 reporting. For anyone in our audience who isn't familiar with Scope 3, that's essentially the emissions of the products from oil and gas, like in a shorthand. So if you're an exploration and production company, you know, the final, the emissions of the final products. At least the sense I have from our interviews has been people don't expect this first rule to cover scope three, but I think everyone eventually thinks that scope three will work its way into into a regulatory framework. Certainly there's a lot of expectations for companies to get a good handle on their scope three emissions. What are you thinking about scope three? Like where will it go? How will we handle it? How will we handle double counting? What what do you think the future of scope three looks like from your from your seat? Sure. Well I, I haven't counted out scope three in the rule just yet. So okay. you know, we'll have to see, Don't we'll get see what, what comes out in the <laughs> in the final rule. But yeah. the truth is that companies will inevitably report their scope three emissions. These are the largest source of emissions for many companies and certainly for oil and gas companies. And investors are going to continue to ask for this information. And moreover, ratings agencies will still report their own figures and companies will want to control that narrative particularly where they're implementing transition plans. So I think that many companies are going to inevitably report scope three emissions, whether voluntarily or because they're subject to reporting obligations under other regulatory regimes, such as the CSRD in in Europe, which has just been adopted. So even if the SEC were to not include scope three emissions in the final rule, which I think, you know, is still subject to some, it's a controversial topic. And, you know, I haven't written off scope three, but even if the SEC doesn't include scope three in the final rule, 
companies are voluntarily going to be reporting scope three emissions and they're going to be subject to reporting requirements in other jurisdictions. So I think there's an inevitability to it. That makes a lot of sense to me. And we've been advising companies, even if you aren't required by anyone to report scope three in the foreseeable future, it's going to be very challenging to get our houses in order, particularly with the whole value, you know, companies taking up various parts of the value chain and who's going to cover what. So I think you make a good case for accelerating getting the scope three house in order because we're going to, we're going to be talking about it one way or the other. Anything else happening at the SEC that you think our companies should be keeping an eye on? What what else is happening there that's important? Sure. I mean, in the ESG space, the SEC is working on human capital disclosure rules that I expect that they'll propose in the coming months. And they also have on their agenda fund rules that would enhance the reporting related to green or ESG labeled funds. So those are both on my on my radar in the ESG space. That's really um, interesting and will be something we'll want to stay in touch with you. If if you start thinking there's things our audience should know about, we want to we want to help them keep their eye on the prize. Awesome. I have one final question for you. Christina, what are you most optimistic about? Oh, I love this question. I'm an optimist. So I'm optimistic about a lot of things. I would say in this regard, I'm I'm hopeful about the improved access to clear and reliable data that technology is facilitating. And mm. climate is a data problem. It's complicated. And I think we're getting to a point where the data is just getting much more manageable and it's becoming clearer um, both to companies and to investors where companies' submissions lie. And technology is really facilitating that. And with clearer data, companies will be able to make better decisions that take climate-related risks and opportunities into account. And investors, for their part, will be better able to incorporate those risks and opportunities into their investment analyses. And that will help drive the energy transition and reduce systemic risk to the global economy. So a lot to be optimistic about. Mm, I love that. It's one thing for companies to tell their stories, but it really is going to require a transparent, verified, credible story in the in the context of an oil and gas company and the energy transition. So I couldn't agree more that we that we have a lot to look forward to. Christina, thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Things podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Christina for joining me. I really enjoyed thinking about the upside of a rule. It's hard to get excited about an SEC rule, but having worked extensively in the in the alphabet soup of space of ESG, should we have the opportunity to get some clarity? Uh, I think that would be really helpful and beneficial to oil and gas companies telling their own story and controlling their own narrative. So I really like that. I hope that you like what you're hearing and that you'll take a moment to rate and review us. It helps other listeners find Energy Thinks. If you want to find out more about our work at Adam and Team, please go to energythinks.com. I want to thank my colleague, Adon Rubio, who makes all things podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health. <laughs>